This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Denise Crosby. I played Tasha Yar on Star Trek The Next Generation, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, listeners, to another cup of Earl Grey. I'm your host, Kevin Scarf. Amy's away again, and so join with me today are Joe Keegan, Rhea Papa Giorgio, and Pierre Larocco. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello. What is this? Is this, is this like new hosts hosting already? We're taking <laughs> over. Ha ha. What? Delete host. Delete. Where's the delete host button? Oh. Ah, you deleted Amy. No. <laughs> Can you imagine the outcry? <laughs> We'd be shot at dawn. Yes. Oh. Ugh. But uh, you know, everybody needs a break now and then, so it's it's good that we're here, so that you can you can have a rest every every so often, Joe. But you know what, Kevin, you'll get come to realise that um, Amy's like the matriarch of yes. Earl Grey, and her her vacations or holidays, if you will, get ever more frequent. It's like exponential growth. <laughs> Soon she'll be just like on this infinitely long holiday, and we'll never see her again. Oh, maybe that was my plan all along. <laughs> I will join her on this infinite holiday. <laughs> feels like an infinite holiday at the moment. It does. That sounds fabulous. Before we get into our main topic today, we do have a little bit of feedback from our last couple of episodes. Uh, so, uh, Rhea, uh, you and Amy did an episode about death and aging. I see we've got a bit of feedback about that. Yes, episode 324. If you haven't listened to it yet, please do. It's, it's not as scary as you might think from the title. Um, Christian Alonzo commented, what? All my favorites on one pod? And I know by favorites you don't mean death and aging. By favorites you mean Amy, Joe, and Rhea. Ooh. Yes, Christian, and get used True. to it. And, and not in that order, though. It's in the order Rhea, Joe, Amy. I thought it was We're in the order Joe, 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 and then Amy and Rhea. Nine billion, all Joe, yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> No, put our guest first, let Rhea go first, and then Amy's not here, so she can go last. Um, but we were talking about this earlier, about the death and aging episode in these COVID-19 times, and there wasn't a lot of feedback about it, apart from Christian um, saying that we were all his favourites. So, yeah, it, it was less difficult to talk about than I thought. It was just more thought-provoking, and it became a lot about what our legacy and um, having lived this life was going to be um 
it did cause me to have a bit of an emotional and kind of psychological crisis after after editing it. But um, yeah, it was it was a positive experience. So I'm glad I did it, and it was great having Ria on for her um, her audition. My top secret having. squirrel yeah. audition. <laughs> Exactly. I really enjoyed that episode, guys. I thought I thought it was fantastic, and I loved how personal you got. And I, I really felt like I learned a lot about you. So it was a it was a come to know Joe and Ria moment for me. Ah. Uh, Thank you, Kevin. Can I ask why you didn't leave any feedback then for us to read out? Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Just time. It's mm-hmm. timing. Time and time gets away um, from me. I'm so busy, Joe. Is that? Aren't we all at the moment? And they're all going out for dinner, going to the theatre, yeah, going to see sports events. I know, just life is just crazy at the moment with the social calendar as it is. You'd be surprised. Yes, I've got a garden to plant today, I've got rooms to paint, laundry to do. Spring is finally here, I can get outside again. Mm -hmm. Spring has sprung, so Mm. to speak. I have TNG Um, episodes to watch. There were many this week. There were many. Have you not seen? Have you not seen them all, <laughs> Pierre? Oh, not I in have. a long time, and for a reason. Oh <laughs> uh, no, no, yeah. No. Well, before we um, get to that, we should go on with the rest of the feedback. We um, should. I know we digress. Yes. Too much. So let's talk about uh, the last episode that uh, that I listened to was episode three twenty five. Jack Crusher, Joe, uh, you've got some feedback on that one. Do this feedback's from Kimberly Lawler, whose idea it was to for us to talk about Jack Crusher. Uh, Kimberly very nicely gave us this huge um, amount of feedback, just continuing the discussion. So I've cut it down ever so slightly to maybe kind of a millionth of what it initially was. Uh, so Kimberly says, Amy. Nelson and Joe Keegan, thank you so very much for taking on this topic. Even if you weren't sure you wanted to at first, I think Jack is so interesting because for a character we know so little about um, how he had a huge lasting influence on three main characters we do know a lot about. Picard says he was honest, trusting, strong. He clearly had a good sense of humour and he cared about being a good father. For books, none of them are canon, but I think I like the version of the friendship with Picard, Jack and Beverly and Jack's death in the autobiography of Jean-Luc Picard better than in Reunion. Q Square did a fantastic job exploring Jack's character too, but that didn't focus on the past so much as the complicated present in all the different timelines. I love Q Squared. Thanks again for the nice episode. Smiley face, smiley face. Thank you, Kimberly. Um, yeah, it was really interesting. I think I commented during the episode that um, given that we know so little about Jack Crusher, I had no idea what I wanted to say. We see him as a hologram, then as a, a dead body on a, a morgue slab, and then as in a hallucination or a vision or some drug-induced brain something. Um so yeah, we literally don't see him as a real living character, uh, so it was really difficult to come up with anything for him. But it was, I really, I think we did it justice, I hope. Yeah, that sounded great. I think you did. Kevin Parlagreco has a comment. Before I read it, though, I have to say, Kevin, uh, let us know what part of Italy your family hails from, because Parlagreco is Italiano for speaks Greek, so you very well might be from one of the Greek parts of Italy, just like Pierre and I both have ancestry from there, and we are related, so you might be family too. So, back to Kevin Parlagreco's comment. He says, yes, absolutely. He's a whole unexplored story, not only for Wesley, but Beverly and Picard as well. 
Yeah, there's a lot to tap into there with Jack Crusher. There is. So interesting. I think we might find that Rhea is maybe related to half our listeners. <laughs> Very you possible. Like the, kinda, the, the mother, the <laughs> seed of all life. The distant cousin of all life. <laughs> interesting. That's cool. So Rhea, tell me, are we related in any way? Um, is Keegan Greek for related to Rhea? <laughs> it could be. We'll have to dig into your your ancestry a little. I mean, you're you're handsome enough to be Greek, so no. there you go. I'm too, I think I'm too white to be Greek. Well, you've been out of the sun for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so John Kirkorian says, sure, but that obscenity of a mangled maroon uniform has to go. Rolling on floor laughing emoji. What's his uniform really that bad? I feel like it was just lazy as with costuming. Like, how hard is it to get the turtleneck and put it on him? I saw it as an evolutionary step between those movie uniforms and the first season next-gen uniforms that didn't have any collars either. That's that's how I saw it. Just Yeah, that's of, how I saw it as well. Yeah, it's not a bad costume, but I wouldn't want to be showing that much neck. <laughs> and kind of the nostalgia of the of the monster maroons, but I I think that they would have been gone long before Jack Crusher came around. I think so. What do military organizations normally do in terms of rotating uniforms? Is it like every year, every ten years? Does anybody know? I have it kind no of depends. Idea. It's it's pretty often, um, and depending on like with the U.S. Army when. The whole stuff in the Middle East started up again. They went from the jungle-type camouflage to the desert-type camouflage. and um, So it kind of depends on need. But with like the dress uniforms, they do get changed every now and then. Keep it fresh. Hmm. Who knew? Like license plates, I guess. <laughs> do you know what? I've been thinking about license plates recently. Um, and the difference between, like, I think, US, maybe Canadian, I'm not sure, and the UK license plates... Our license plates are like you apply for your registration and you get the plates for the car and you can sometimes pick what you want, mm-hmm. but there's a formula for them. So, my new I don't. Are you supposed to give your registration plate out? Does that mean they can hack your car? I don't know. Mine's is SK20 ZNG, which makes me laugh because if I was German, I could say ZNG is like the next generation. <laughs> And that's like the podcast there you I go. Want to post on. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't choose that. It just got given right. to me. And in mm-hmm. the US, you see people with like, um, like Star Trek ones, like Resistance is futile, abbreviated. <laughs> it still looks like or NCC one seven zero one. In Ontario, we have personalized plates, and you can also get graphics on your plates, too. And one of the choices that you can get for your car license plate in Ontario is actually a Star Trek The Next Generation um, communicator logo. You can have wow. it right on your license plate. So if, <laughs> if like you commit a crime and you're fleeing the scene and somebody sees you and phones a place and goes, uh, they say, what's the registration? And... The person has never seen Star Trek before, and they go, "Okay, it looks like like um, little oval with a a weird triangle well, thing the, with another smaller triangle cut out." 
The design <laughs> isn't actually part of your registration number. Okay. But you can get, there's all kinds of different graphics you can get at various sports teams or colleges or universities. You can have that logo put on your, mine, I, I do geocaching, so I have a geocaching logo on my, uh, on my license plate. And uh, yeah, so there's all kinds of various different logos you can have on your license plate. The, the other weird thing is they just changed the color of the license plates in Ontario, and they changed them to a color that don't show up on cameras when the sun goes down. So we nice. have to scrap all of them and get all new ones again. Wow. Our tax dollars at work. Yep, exactly. Um, interestingly, all of our front number plates are white, and all our rear number plates are yellow. Hmm. Has to be that way. Interesting. And it has to be both front and back. I have the same. Unlike when you, when you go to Vegas, because that's where I've been recently. Um, there's some cars with no number plates on them, and I'm like, oh, that's that's not right. <laughs> In the U.S., it varies by state. Some states yeah. don't require a front plate, but some states do. But yeah. It's very strange. Anyway, we've yeah. gotten way off topic here today, so let's go to our main topic. And uh, today we're starting a new series on Earl Grey where we're going to try to find the good in episodes that have been poorly received or gotten bad reviews. And uh, this season, we this episode will be focusing on season one. Now, uh, Joe, you created this list for us. How did you come up with this list of episodes that, we, that we've got to take a look at? Okay, so I randomly googled stuff and there's a bunch of websites created by people with opinions about what is bad about Star Trek um, so I went there initially for the list of 11, almost half the season was rated as bad by some people and then Amy suggested that we just use the the IMDB ratings and then that spurred me on to make a spreadsheet of all 179 TNG episodes or something like that. Are there 179? Yes, 179 from Encounter at Farpoint all the way through to All Good Things. Um, and then with Excel, you can order things how you want. Right. Um, things that come out top five, according to IMDb, are Measure of a Man, season two, episode nine, with a rate IMDb rating of 9.2. Wow. Yesterday's Enterprise, Season 3, Episode 15, again with a rating of 9.2. Then, Best of Both Worlds, Part 2, Season 4, Episode 1, rating of 9.3. Then, in second place, Best of Both Worlds, Part 1, Season 3, Episode 26, obviously, with a rating of 9.4. And lastly, The Inner Light, Season 5, Episode 25, with a rating of 9.5, which is the highest rating... Um, that the next generation ever got, according to IMDb. Cool. And I think that must be out of ten. I think so. I yeah. 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 Wow! And all good things wasn't on that list. Crazy. Uh, all good things was um, fifth and sixth. No, no, it was sixth and seventh. Yeah, because I gave the top five. Unfortunately, we're not looking at the top of the list. We're looking at the bottom of the list. We are looking at the bottom <laughs> of the list. Yes. Did you find that there was a higher proportion of season one episodes at the bottom of the list than other seasons? Oh, that would take more data analysis. Oh, I haven't got to that thought, stage yet. You know, uh, you're, you're playing with the numbers there. I have. Okay, so I have looking at. Because you gave us a list of 11. Yeah. That's a lot of episodes. I th that list of 11 was, I think, just one website's opinion ah. on what the, the worst episodes were. 
and then that person who created the list must have just thought um, those are the worst episodes and the rest are relatively good, I suppose. Um, I have colour-coded the episodes by season in my spreadsheet, um, and as I scroll to the worst, there, there is, yeah, there is more season one at the beginning than there is at the end. Interesting. And that's the limits of my data analysis well, so far. I, I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's surprising to anyone. Uh, but we're not here to talk about what makes those episodes bad. We're here to talk about what makes those particular episodes actually good. So Pierre, why don't you pick one of those episodes and uh, and and let us know your thoughts on it and uh, w- what you found that was good in in one of these episodes. What episode did you want to talk about first? So my thought of what the the worst episode of season one is is coming of age. Um, it it just makes no sense to me. Um, it, it, especially looking back at it in retrospect. So Wesley has already saved a ship twice at this point in season one, and he can't get into the academy. <laughs> it makes no sense. I, I I don't know what other words to put to it except for it makes no sense. Right. Um, I also find it hard to believe that they they that Admiral Quinn shows up with with this investigator and they go on this fishing expedition to see if Picard's loyal. Like it just, it, from, from all the things we see about the Federation and Star Trek world later on, um, it just, this episode makes no sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Joe and Joe and I talked about that episode quite a bit when we did our deep dive into Wesley Crusher there a few weeks ago. Mm. So, but, we're looking to find things that are good about that episode. What 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 kind of things did you see that uh, you thought were were fun or interesting or good? Anything? Not really. No. I mean, I, <laughs> I, yeah, no. It it made no sense. I agree with you on pretty much all of that, Pierre. Um, the the ridiculous test to get into Starfleet that even when it first aired, you know, thirty years ago, I was just like. How can Wesley not get in? How are they only picking one? How do they keep stocking their ranks? You know, how does Barkley get in? Well, I wasn't thinking that at the time, you know, but how do like all these people get into the Academy and Wesley can't and the Vulcan can't and the insecure woman, which I hate that trope, whatever. But I did find a couple of redeeming qualities in this. And one of them was, um, you know, for the first time we have a, a little mini arc with a setting up for the conspiracy episode mm-hmm. with Remick and the Admiral. And I thought that was kind of cool planting that seed. Um, and then there was some background, not only on Worf, uh, but Jack Crusher as well. So, you know, it's season 18 or episode 18 of a new series. So there was a little bit of a kind of early character development there that I thought was slightly redeeming. <laughs> Joe, do you have any thoughts on this episode? Do you know, I, I, can I just preface everything I'm going to say with when I watched TNG originally, I was a teenager mm-hmm. and I just loved everything about it. So the episodes that are poorly rated, I've got this these rose-tinted glasses on because I almost remember when I initially watched them. I don't because it's like it was a million years ago and I've drank way too much wine uh-huh. since then. So um, the, my memories may be a bit foggy. Um, but I remember all these episodes quite fondly and I find it hard to find anything overtly bad about them 
um, coming of age, I know we spoke about it um, recently, um, I quite like it. Interestingly, coming of age is ranked 7.2, so around about the middle of where TNG is ranked, it's like an average grade for TNG. Um, other episodes have a, a rating of 7.2 are The Arsenal of Freedom, Galaxy's Child, Night Terrors, In Theory, Silicon Avatar and Genesis. So, IMDb disagrees with Tia <laughs> and Rhea. Um, it won't be the first time. <laughs> no, I can imagine what. It's so subjective. Um, I kind, I like the, I like Wesley's test that he goes through. I like the fact that there are different aspects to it. Um, I don't get the fact that, or I try to understand the fact that they only get to put in one person from that particular planet. Yes. And I think it, there's a, a 150 member world, so there must be way more than 150 planets in the Federation. So if each one, like Pro Rata, gets to send like one person per 100,000 of population, then that could make a, a new class of, say, a few hundred people, mm-hmm. possibly, or a few thousand people. I don't know. Um, yeah, I really agree with you. I think I like the way it sets up Remick to come back for Conspiracy, which I think is maybe... I think I say this every episode. It's maybe one of my favourite episodes. I think every episode's my favourite <laughs> when I'm talking about it. It's not an episode without some Ken, problems, too, though. Conspiracy. I very specifically remember watching it when it first aired and being pretty grossed out. Yeah. I think its biggest issue is that it never gets paid off. That it, yeah. Mm. Uh, Card season two, baby. It, it could be. That would be great. I think uh, m- one thing that I can say about uh, coming of age is that it it really shows Wesley in a good light. Um, it, uh, it it shows his his humanity, his intelligence, his empathy. Uh, I, I think uh, I think it's probably one of the best um, Wesley focused episodes uh, of the series. So that's what I would say is good about that one. So, Joe, what uh, what episode did you want to talk about today? Mm, I don't want to talk about any of them. This is a stupid topic. <laughs> um, although, if we are focusing on finding the good in what was poorly received, then I like them all, so it's really difficult to choose. So I think, can I go there and choose the one that we all really don't want to talk about? Let's start a conversation about Code of okay. Honor. Okay. Yes. I think we need to talk about Code of Honor. Yes. Something interestingly, um, Code of Honor is the the third poorest rated episode of TNG, mm-hmm. with a rating of five point two. Um, it was only the fourth episode of the season, um, so they were still finding their feet, I suppose. Uh, I know there's a lot of controversy surrounding Code of Honor. Um, as a teenager, obviously, I was blissfully unaware unaware of anything around about this. I know I've explained on the before that growing up, I went to a, because it was the west coast of Scotland. Um, everybody I know was white, so to see the only time I saw people of other ethnic minorities, black people, or Indian people or Asian people um, was on TV. So I suppose my teenage mind 
didn't see what was potentially controversial about it. So, with that kind of lens on, I still kind of struggle to see what's potentially racist about it. Although, um, I'll accept, because I don't get to decide what's racist and what's not, because I'm never the, really the subject. I'm kind of a, I would, do you describe me as a white middle-class man? Middle-aged middle-class man, maybe? Um, I'd say so, a little more pink than white, but yeah. I don't think you're middle-aged yet either. I think you have a lot more years ahead of you. I think so. I think technically, what is it, the middle-agedness is between the years of 45 and 65. I think they have they not recalculated middle-agedness, given the people the fact that people are getting older later. Um, so I'm a couple of years away yet. Um, yeah, but definitely white middle-class man, although to say middle-class, it doesn't really mean much to me. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't get to decide what is racist about an episode at all because, yeah, I'm not the subject of it. Um, but, like I was saying, I'm willing to accept that some people might find it racist because of the way black people or people of African-American descent are portrayed within the episode in terms of being kind of the bit backward, I think, in tribal. Um, the one thing I like about it, I thought, I think I just found it quite exciting at the time that Tasha had been kidnapped by these aliens, essentially, um, and Picard was being challenged to come and, and get her, and then she had a fight to the death. Um, so yeah, I thought it was quite exciting. I think Rhea, um, in her conversations, did you not mention that it was, or was somebody that mentioned that there were, Tasha was playing a strong female character, which we never really get to see in TV at the time. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's actually a theme through a lot of these season one episodes is, and they and they really beat you over the head with it, yet Tasha, Tasha's a woman and she's chief of security. And um, there's so many episodes where it's just like, okay, dial it back a little bit. We get it. Um, but this is, I'm with you, Joe, and it could be the European mindset versus the North American mindset of, um, I never, it never occurred to me that this episode was racist until I heard Star Trek people talking about it when I kind of fell into the online Star Trek community a couple of years ago. And I was really shocked, but I mean, I get it. I get where people are coming from, but I still don't understand why is Code of Honor so shockingly racist when justice isn't, when up the long ladder isn't. I mean, if you think one of them's racist, they're all racist. And what about the, the just blindingly absence of all Greeks in Star Trek, but let's not go there. Um, but because who's to say that every planet you go to with humanoid bipeds, that there's a, a spectrum of you know skin color. I mean, who's to say you won't find a planet where everyone's dark skinned? And so what? I mean, on the justice planet, everyone's blonde haired, blue eyed and runs a lot. Swedish. Yeah, everyone's Swedish. How are Swedes not offended by that? But um, so I still kind of struggle with the code of honor thing. And, and I really hope don't, you know, not to offend any listeners. Um, I think it's just a, a mindset difference. Americans and um, possibly Canadians, I'll let Kevin chime in, are, are very, very, in my opinion, or I would say oversensitive to dark skin and you cannot, you know, appear racist. And, and it, there's like a, a, I don't really have the words for it, but, um, 
from the Greek mentality, we can say someone has dark skin, someone has light skin. It's not taboo to talk about someone's skin color, whereas here in the U.S., it's really weird. And if you have dark skin, well, you're an African-American. Well, what if you're not African? Haitian's not African. Um, and, and that's another thing that cracks me up when people talk about, well, these, these you know, African-American, well, they're not American. They're on a different planet in Code of Honor, um, where... I guess to put it in perspective, the kind of mindset I come from is if you watch the NBA at all, which I don't, but Yanis Adentokumpo, the guy that plays for the Milwaukee Bucks, he's Greek. He's Greek. That's all we care. He's Greek. But in the U.S., it's, um, I guess people are just so sensitive to skin color. So that, again, I see why especially Americans, North Americans think Code of Honor is racist, but redeeming qualities I love the the costumes. I think they're gorgeous. Um, I think visually, if you take out the kind of emotional baggage <laughs> of the potential racism there, I think visually it's 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 a gorgeous episode to look at. Um, Lutan, Lutan, the the one dude that kidnaps Tasha. I love his voice. Oh my gosh. Um, and then one thing I found in a few of these episodes that I think is super relevant right now is the vaccine. When this episode came out. Oh, it's a vaccine. It's a it's it's a vaccine. No vaccine. You know, it didn't really mean as much. But right now, the importance of a vaccine um, means an awful lot more. I think it I've, code of honor is oddly relevant right now from that perspective. But again, I'll I'll get off my soapbox. Again, I hope I did not offend anybody. That is not my intent. It's just I'm coming from a different mindset from everyone around me. <laughs> so. So I, I think it's a good story. Um, I think the storyline is good. There's, and I agree. There's, there's some strong women, especially at the end um, when um, I'm blanking on her name, but um, uh, she, uh, the, the the first the land and power. Go ahead. Uh, she's called the first wife, isn't she? Or the first one is. Yeah, yeah. the first where the money actually follows yeah. her, um, and that she really has all the control. Yarina. Um, her name was Yarina. You know, so I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking at, at, um, I look, I was looking at what, what was going on in it and stuff like that. I think it's a good story, but really, what gets me is the, um, how much the cast hates it, right? Like you, you get Jonathan Frank saying really negative things about the show, Brent Spiner saying really negative things, and, and I just, I wonder what was going on, kind of behind the scenes of filming that episode, um. Where they really, they really don't like it. Um, you know, Will, Will Wheaton has some things pretty negative to say about it. Um, so that's really what gets me. But I, I think it's a decent storyline. Um, I think I think costuming could have been maybe done a little different, or the setup a little different, where it didn't really, um, it wouldn't have been so familiar to something we know on Earth, or that we think we know about on Earth that could have changed some things. But I think it was a good story. And that's a good point, Pierre. Um, there was a line in there that, that Picard says about, you know, and their culture is very similar to something on Earth. And so I think that kind of lends to why it's perceived as a racist episode. So again, but you know, dial back the hate mail. <laughs> um, I, I get it. I get it. Well, I looked at this episode and of all the ones I watched, this one felt the most like an original series episode of any of them. The the look of it felt like a Captain Kirk episode with the sort of plain orange backgrounds. Even when they were in some of the 
scenes on the Enterprise. It had that hexagonal pattern on the wall, like uh, like engineering did. Even the music sounded like um, original series music to me. So I think this is a case of the writers and the creators looking to what had come before and just continuing with it. And I think that just goes to prove that Next Gen hadn't found its feet yet. Uh, that they were still trying to be. They were trying to give people the Star Trek they remembered, even if it was with new characters. So um, I think I think you got to forgive it a little bit for that. Um, the other thing was there was one scene it was with Crusher and Picard, and I think you you always hear about, especially um, Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sear just talking about playing the subtext of the relationship uh, that between Riker and Troy, and I think this was a case of of Gates McFadden and Patrick Stewart playing the subtext between Picard and Crusher. It just felt like there was more going on behind the scenes or behind their eyes than their words were giving, giving to them. It just felt like the, uh, the actors were trying to create more there than what was, what was on the page. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And the other thing that I noticed um, was this, because this is a very early episode, we said this was episode four. I think this was the first big hand-to-hand combat scene on the show. And it's interesting that it was between two women. That again, I think, I think it was a case of the writers' room saying, "This is this is current Star Trek. This is 1980s Star Trek. This is not 1960s Star Trek." And they were trying to. Sh- I don't think there was any intent of racism or sexism here. I think their intentions were good. I just think maybe execution came off a little wonky. I agree with you, Kevin, on both those counts. So interesting. Because obviously, I'm thinking about we know about what the cast thought about it because they've they've got on board with the perceived fan wisdom, yeah. the fandoms, yeah, the fans' thoughts about it. But I wonder if anybody's ever asked what the the supporting cast thought of it. The people that were playing, like Lutan, I know he's passed away since, and Jesse Lawrence Ferguson. What did he think about it at the time? What did the other people? Um, what was the planet called? I don't recall. Me neither. The Ligon 2. Is that true? That, that right? sounds right. Ligon 2. So, um, yeah, what did the, this black um, cast think about the portrayal of these characters? Either at the time, did they think it was, they were, it was really racist or did... It's only after the fact. I'm not. Sh- I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I. I, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it would be very interesting to to see what they have to say about it. Um, yeah, it's kind of. It's one of those episodes where you, we talk. A lot of people talk so negatively about it, and then there's not a whole lot of info about it either out there. It's. It's interesting. I think they did change directors midway through. So I mean, there was something going on behind the scenes, but. I also wonder what the what the reception of it was in 1987 compared to what the reception of it is in 2020, right? Like, I'm sure it was received differently then than it was now. Times change. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I wonder when when exactly it got its reputation as being a racist episode. Like, where in the timeline since 1987 that um, it got its reputation? Yeah. Wikipedia has a... I'm just looking at that myself. Has the, the Nielsen ratings... I'm just looking for the... 
how many people viewed it? I'm on Wikipedia. It said it had a Nielsen rating of 9.5, reflecting the percentage of all households watching the episode during its initial during its time slot. So yeah, the the um, the Wikipedia entry on it is quite interesting, especially the the section on reception. And that Nielsen rate is that I'm assuming that's a Nielsen rating because you said it was um, 9.5 is 9.5 US. So that's... 9.5 million US viewers. No, it's... Of all the people watching television at that time, 9.5% of them were watching this episode. Are you sure? Because the heading at the top of that table says millions. I'm not sure. I'm just reading what uh, what it says on Wikipedia right here. Interesting. So. I'm sure we've got lots of feedback from this. I am sure we will. So Julian Christopher, who played Hagen, is from Philadelphia. So maybe I'll just try to track him down and knock on his door and find out what he thought about it. There you go. That'd be awesome. We can get him on the show. <laughs> Don't get arrested. Actually, that'd be good. Yeah, find him, get him on as a guest. That would be awesome. Yeah. Come and knock on our door. All right, let's move on from Code of Honor. Okay. Uh, Rhea, you haven't gone yet, have you? No, and I'm kind of between two. Well, let's I pick don't one. Know. Just we can we, we probably get around to both of them, but so let's let's just talk about one. Okay, so a lot of these episodes I hadn't watched in a long time for obvious reasons, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and I actually went through and, and watched them all. And one that I was glad that I rewatched was Skin of Evil. Mm. Um, it's one that. Like a lot of the first season episodes, they're just more stilted. Uh, things are a little forced. You know, they're, they're trying to, the characters are trying to find their way. Um, and I never really liked Armis. And I don't know, it's just an episode I never really liked. Um, the special effects are kind of comic, especially nowadays. Um, but they were watching it again this time. I took a lot out of it. Um, there was a very strong pro-life message in that, you know, the, the Federation, um, all life is valuable, all life is should be protected, you know, every individual person is, is valued. And I think that that's something that they've carried throughout Star Trek, and I appreciate that. So another thing I appreciated, too, is that they killed a main character, and they stuck with it. And they killed her early on and suddenly, and they brought her back to the Enterprise. And, you know, you thought for sure Beverly would be able to revive her, and she couldn't. And especially, you know, in 1987, 88, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, they killed a character. So I appreciate that they did that. But the biggest thing I enjoyed about it, watching it this last time, was the study of a bully. I mean, Armis was a bully. Um, That saying that hurt people hurt people. You know, Armis had been abandoned. Uh, he'd been deeply hurt, deeply wounded. He's all the negative stuff that, that these people wanted to shed. Um, and as a result, he was just out to to hurt people. Um, it was really interesting to watch it from that perspective, um, especially now that I'm significantly older than I was when it first aired, significantly older, and have been around people like that and have been around bullies. In fact, I've got an employee right now who's who's like that. Um, he just tries to make, to hurt people, make people miserable. And, and you got to feel for them, you know, what kind of, a, I don't know, what, what kind of a living hell it must be inside these people's minds. So yeah, I really appreciated watching Skin of Evil this time. I thought of some great things when I watched Skin of Evil that I was really, I really enjoyed. You see a really strong Picard. 
cards like my security chief was just killed. I'm going to go down to that planet and talk to him. And, and Picard essentially lies to him. Picard pulls out all the stops, isn't afraid, tells everyone else they can leave. He's like, he, he's real, a really strong Picard character there. And then also the funeral, you know, just to see how funerals are done at that point in history or in the future, not in history. But to see how they're done, I thought that was really neat. The, um, the memorial service with the hologram, you know, with all of the crew around, it was just, I, I thought those two, those two things were really, really positive for the episode and just really set up what we see later on in Star Trek. Really good points. Yeah, I've never not liked this episode. Um, I think, Rhea, you're right, because it changes something. It killed off a main character, and we're like, whoa, I liked her, even though she's not been in it for so long, but I liked that character. She was a strong female role model. She was chief of security, and they've just gone and killed her. This is, this is big. This is what makes Star Trek really cool. Um, interestingly, Skin of Evil was rated 6.9 on IMDb, which is still relatively high. Um, other episodes that got 6.9 are The Battle, also from Seasons 1, Home Soil, um, the f- uh, Final Mission, and Firstborn from Season 7. One thing I liked about Skin of Evil was that the death came so quickly and suddenly. Not that I like that people die quickly and suddenly, but it was a shock. It was a surprise. It wasn't built up, and it was in the end, pointless. It really showed that being in Starfleet is a dangerous job. You never know when something like this could happen. And I, th- I thought, I thought that uh, the way everyone reacted to that was was really quite interesting. Uh, and talk about an episode that has a lasting impact on a series. You know, to eliminate uh, a main cast member—that's a pretty big deal. And what you said about you know the death coming so suddenly when. Pierre was talking about the memorial service. Um, when I was rewatching it, it made me wonder, okay, so when did Tasha update her hologram? Like how often do all of these Starfleet officers update their holograms? Um, you know, I mean, realistically, like how, when's the last time I updated my will? I need to get on that. I really need to get on that. But, um, and I thought about, you know, what about like, you know, Lieutenant J didn't get invited to the memorial. Well, ouch. Hmm. Good point. You've got to imagine that if they're ever going on an away mission, when they didn't know they're going, they would... Like when you see in war movies, before they go away to war, they'll write a wee note for somebody. Um, so you've got to imagine there's something... Mm-hmm. Or maybe the Enterprise just scans them every now and again to get an updated holographic profile so that when they do die, it's, it's nice and up to date. And it just comes up with a message for their loved ones, possibly. Um, Ashara Yar, when Data's talking to her in that episode, when they meet Ashara, Tasha's sister, um, Data says that it was a pointless death. It was. Uh, Armis basically just did it because he was bored. I think. Um, yeah. But I don't know how much I agree of that being a pointless death. Mm-hmm. Like, she was trying to save two crew members. One who was, like, critically injured. Right? So, I, like, 
I understand that Armis did it mm-hmm. for no reason, but her reasons were pretty were pretty strong so, yeah. as to what she was trying to do. Yeah, of course. That's that's what I meant. And then by killing her, he realized he didn't get yeah. any satisfaction from it, and so that's really the reason he didn't kill anybody else. I think yeah, I think the pointlessness comes from the fact that he didn't have to kill her. He was just being himself and mean. All right, I want to talk about the episode The Last Outpost. Now, this is the episode that follows right after Code of Honor, where we are introduced to the Ferengi for the first time. It, it had only been five episodes, but they had talked about the Ferengi already, and they were being built up as this big new threat. They were going to be the Klingons of the next generation. And then we saw them. And sometimes anticipation is better than execution. And in this case, that was the fact. Uh, The Ferengi don't get redeemed for another seven or eight years until Deep Space Nine comes along. But having said that, there were some really great things in this episode. Um, What I loved was how the crew worked as a team to figure out what was going on. They had a theory uh, about why the ship was disabled, and they worked towards that theory and then they discovered that they were wrong and they had to turn around and change their theory uh and and i really appreciated how the how the team worked as a as a crew together uh on this episode i thought that was really um really well done there was some more uh picard crusher subtext in this one too i thought a little uh bedroom eyes as well and the other thing i wanted to mention was uh, that jordy sort of came into his own on this episode um this was the first time we saw jordy in engineering uh, he'd just been flying the ship up till this point. And at this time, the show didn't really have an engineer. And so when they needed somebody to do some engineering, they just sent Jordy off to do it. Uh, and uh, I think this was the start of, of them saying, hey, we got to give LeVar something more to do. And uh, engineering is the place for him. So uh, those are my thoughts about Last Outpost. Uh, anybody have anything to to add on that? I like The Last Outpost obviously because I like them all um, but The Last Outpost is interesting because what was really notable was that they had a holographic display in the observation lounge mm-hmm. they're all sitting around I think Picard standing, Data's at the desk and there's this grey kind of circular disc on the desk and Data does something to it and it displays this rotating discovery like kind of map of local space and I was like, whoa. And it had never occurred to me that I'd seen it before, but now when like Discovery was full of holograms, let's face it. Um, and I'm fine with that because we have, just now in 2020, we are at the beginnings of kind of having holographic technology. So where are we going to be in like nearly 400 years time? <laughs> we're going to have proper holograms. Um, so yeah, I like that little addition that the holographic technology. I also like, I agree with you, Kevin, that we see we see them acting as a team, using that scientific method, mm-hmm. trying to figure out what's wrong with the Enterprise and how to save themselves. There was a comment I read recently about the Ferengi that we see in TNG not being the Ferengi we see in Deep Space Nine. Yes. And the argument was made that we're seeing the, the, the military, we're seeing the Starfleet, of the Ferengi and TNG, the guys that go around in the Ferengi Marauders, um, and on Deep Space Nine we see just Ferengi civilians 
Mm-hmm. So that might explain why they were, but they were a bit hokey, weren't they? They weren't the villains that they'd been portrayed to be. And I think I'm fine with that. I think I can forget about the fact that they were maybe, we were missold. They are just Ferengi. I like, yeah, I like that explanation, Joe, that they were the marauders and because it's so easy to fall and I'd fallen into the trap of the monoculture trap. Well, all Ferengi are, are like Quark. But no, you could very well have Ferengi marauders, even if one looks remarkably like Quark, played by Armin Shimmerman. But um, you know, that's a, that that helps me with this episode a lot because this was one where my only comment was "ugh." I didn't write anything good down, although I think something good came to mind. But I was doing dishes, so I didn't write it down. I like the Ferengi whip things; those whip weapons they have, mm-hmm. like the phaser. It's a phaser whip. Energy whips, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, they're cool. I like the design of their ship. I thought that was a really cool-looking, looking spaceship too. And I, I enjoyed the planet design, where with the, with like the fog cover as well as the, um, the crystals coming up. I thought, I thought the planet was well designed. Yeah, that was that was cool. I mean, the, it was a little preachy um, at the end with the whatever life form i can't remember the species um but the Takan empire yes yes but one thing i did like too was it was the beginning of and it's interesting how little things get thrown out in early episodes and then get developed later on um i think in ds9 it was developed about how the uh betazoids betazoids can't read ferengis but it was like betazoids can't read anyone with the four-lobed brains like the ferengis and this whole thing developed out of you know Troy's kind of almost casual comments about not being able to, you know, to read their thoughts. You know, I don't know if they're blocking them or, or whatever. Um, and that all came out of this. I have just learned that Ferengi have four lobes in their brains. I didn't know that. Have you ever looked at them, Joe? Well, I've never dissected one. No. <laughs> oh, they're and... tasty. <laughs> oh. Kelpian better though. Wow, Rhea went there. Rhea went there. Always with the stomach, Rhea. All right, so we've gone in-depth on four episodes. Let's do a quick round of, of shout-outs to other, to other episodes and uh, sort of uh, debate the, the perceived fan wisdom. So, Pierre, you got another one you want to talk about quickly? Yes. I would like to talk about Angel One. Ooh. Um, let me start with this. A, a ship is seven years overdue, and they're finally getting around to figuring out where it is. <laughs> Space is big. <laughs> so so that was the first thing i was like this, this is crazy but it, it was really interesting that they kind of there was a world where kind of what happens on earth kind of was flipped upside down um but it was also interesting to me of how how funny slash awkward the the enterprise folks felt about this like i feel like they they see so many different kinds of different things that they would have been a little more um used to or or not as taken back uh by this kind of civilization that they found um and then just the finding the um finding the refugees um and then the refugees not wanting to leave was really interesting um also, Riker having to make that decision on if they're they're all going or not, um, and if he's going to force them to go, and, and then once again we have another vaccine thing where 
we're looking for a vaccine and a ship's in quarantine and nowadays nowadays we all know what that's really like you know where we're you know before when we first watched this episode i'm sure all of us were like oh yeah ship's in quarantine but um you know now knowing what that is really like was really something interesting to watch in this episode one of my notes i made on this episode is that Riker is a cosplayer he likes to put on the native costumes of the planets he goes to Mm -hmm. yes Ewan, I have started making a, a Riker Angel 1 cosplay. <laughs> Ewan, Ewan wants it for SLB. So. Nice. Yeah. Yes! That was one of my notes as well, was Riker's left nipple. <laughs> Doesn't leave much to the imagination, but yeah. So. Oh my gosh, working, yes. Progress, nice. so. Yes. That was definitely a redeeming... It really start. We really learned that Riker's kind of up for anything. Yeah. Right? Like... And we it's it carries on through the rest of the seven seasons. Like Riker will do anything, mm-hmm. or anyone. <laughs> yeah, um, I I agree with you, Pierre. That they, it was very awkward how they handled this culture and um, that kind of stuff. That's what kind of annoys me. Is I don't know <sighs> when women are treated a certain way. And um, yeah, that part was awkward. But a line that I really liked early on, um, Jordy says ever feel like you're not really wanted? And I thought that was so funny, Jordy saying that about a planet of women. Oh, because we learned so much about Jordy and his love life or lack thereof. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also agree that one of my other notes was COVID, you know, how quickly that that virus spread across the enterprise. Um, it's definitely relevant today. Joe, got quick thoughts about another episode? Yes. So, Pierre, you stole Angel 1, um, but that's fine. Um, Code of Honor was the worst-rated episode of Season 1. Angel 1 was the second. The third worst-rated is Justice, which had a rating of 6.0. Season 1, Episode 8. Um, I like it. I do, too. I don't have a, I don't have a problem with it. I do, similarly, with Code of Honor, I don't... I don't see that race thing being an issue. Um, I think I maybe as a teenager just liked looking at the people running around, like being all free and just happy. And they just looked like happy people running about, like living their best lives. Uh, I like the other storyline where there was this big, invisible, powerful space station protecting them. And we don't really learn anything else about it rather than they see it as a god. Um, and then the Enterprise leaves and leaves it alone. So, yeah, I enjoyed the episode. I don't see what everybody's complaining about. I took two things away. It sets the tone of Picard not always following the Prime Directive when it's not the right thing to do for his people, which I think was needed, especially at that point where Picard was so regimented. The other thing is just, it surprises me that they don't have, before you go down to a planet, they don't give you like a certain amount of things you need to know. Things you need to know about this planet. Things that you... A, a visitor's gauge. Yeah, yeah, like, this will get you in trouble and not get yeah. you in trouble. Hmm. But it got me to thinking about laws of places. And does ignorance of the law justify any crimes that you might commit? But think about how many laws that might be on the, the statute books, might be current laws, active laws, but to enforce them would be stupid, like... I, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but um, I don't know, chewing chewing gum on a Tuesday in July 
the silly old laws that were made up yep. in like the 17 and 1800s that made sense at the time, but never got removed from law. So you could be prosecuted for doing that thing. And it doesn't make sense. Yeah. It made me think about that kind of thing as well and how um, laws, how different cultures values affect their, mm. you know, influence their laws um, and how we need to be, you know, respectful of that. I mean, I would never go to Afghanistan or, you know, UAE or someplace where I'm not allowed to drive because I'm a woman, but those are their values and their laws there. Um, and, you know, if I'm going to go there, I need to know that I'm not going to be able to drive. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I agree that, that perhaps like a visitor's guide would be handy. You know, don't crush the new flowers or you'll die. Um, another thing I, I like about justice is this is a cosplay gold mine. Okay, how are we not doing this? Because I want a group to do this for the next convention that we actually get to you go to. You don't want to see me in a justice in costume. Um, you don't. No, you do not. Yes. No. <laughs> it would no, be no, awesome. No. <laughs> But another thing with justice and um, oh, one of the episodes we just talked about, there were like three or four episodes that I watched where they've got, it was very TOS-y. They have the godlike being. Um, when the bow breaks, that was the other one. Um, the godlike being, again, like straight out of TOS, the computer that's running things. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting. There was a lot of that in season one, a lot of TOS themes where they're trying to kind of um, separate themselves from TOS, but they're still going to the same well. And I think that's why TNG got better and better as it went, um, as they kind of separated themselves from the tropes that had already been done over and over. Yeah, it's that kind of thing where you've got some piece of technology or a race that is way more powerful than the crew of the Enterprise, but it turns out that it's not, it's not better because of that. There's some kind of problem that the Enterprise crew have to solve with their inferiority place interesting i think my biggest issue is just beat you over the head with this plot and it's not a subtle episode let's just say that things i liked about it wesley was actually given a job to do he wasn't just there he was given um an assignment i like that uh i liked uh wharf <laughs> i thought wharf got to be the comic relief in this episode i thought that was pretty fun too so and i also liked that they got off the ship and out of the sound stages and were in a beautiful garden location i thought that uh, really was was a good thing for the series at this point too to to actually see something new and green it's a beautiful planet i'd gladly visit mm -hmm. i think it's a water treatment facility somewhere in the area <laughs> Or it'd have to be something <laughs> as lame as a water treatment facility. Yeah. Somewhere you know is going to stink and not be as idyllic as it was portrayed on TV. Yeah, it probably does smell like raw sewage. And there's an interesting question. If, if they played it differently and Wesley did die or was at least incarcerated for some time, how would we feel about Picard's decision to let that happen? Hmm. And that would have coloured our vision of Picard in the future. Yeah. Like the whole discussion about the, how important the Prime Directive is, I don't think it's as important as it's portrayed to be. I think it's a very fluid role. Uh, Pia, was it you that said in our chat when we were discussing this about um, 
why were they visiting this planet in the first place? Yeah, because they don't have warp drive. Right, it seemed like, you know, you would know what's, like, in your orbit if you're anywhere near warp drive. Um, Mm. So that that kind of... Right, isn't that against the prime directive for them to be cohorting with them? That whole... um... That whole concept of how strictly do you enforce your laws? You know, is there ever any flexibility? That was kind of the the thrust of the of Riker's speech at the end of the episode. Um, that you know, any any civilization whose laws are blindly enforced with with no regard for I don't know extenuating circumstances. I can't quote him exactly. You know that that's not truly a system of justice. And it was true the the godlike being let you know Wesley go. Um, let the whole landing party go, but also true on the Starfleet side with their prime directive. They're like, okay, yeah, in this case, we're going to have to, you know, bend our prime directive um, in order to save one of our own. So I thought that was an interesting parallel. Rhea, did you have another episode you wanted to mention quickly? Yeah, quickly, um, when the bow breaks. And that that's one that's always difficult to watch because it's children in Star Trek and it's mm. that's never a good mix <laughs> and it's so preachy oh the ozone layer blah 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 but um there were I did get a, a bunch of stuff out of it I mean it it did have kind of that TOS theme of the computer you know running the show and then the people don't even know how to repair the computer and in the meantime they're all getting radiation poisoning but um everyone needs calculus mm-hmm. even if Amy's not here even you know if you're a little boy but the whole, um, the false utopia, you know, that, again, a very TOS theme, that human need to struggle in order to thrive. And here the people on this planet had everything handed to them and all they did was sit around and sculpt and make music. And I mean, boring. Um, so I liked kind of examining that. Free you just didn't say making music was boring. Did you? No, I didn't. Cause I, for clarity. No. But doing nothing else but sitting on your bum. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I get it. Yeah. No, I like that. Um, given my my pursuits of recent days, building a raised bed in my garden, like sawing wood and screwing it together, and then installing an external tap outside my kitchen for to water the garden. Um, these are things I've never done before. But it's like that the struggle to figure out how to do something um, makes it completely worth it. I could have paid a plumber to come in and do it for me but the scientist in me wants to figure out how to do things myself and go and do them and that's I'm kind of proud of that fact so you know, I get I get the struggle idea and then you can visit Rhea and do it for her mm, I don't know let's see if this if this leaks overnight then I will be doing it ever again yeah I really like this episode one of my favorite moments of it is when Picard talks in the observation lounge with with the parents you know, we we don't know we don't see Picard deal or talk with many of the um, the crew that's below the bridge staff, and it's really it's neat to see. I think it's it's something that is really cool to see when it happens. I think this is a great episode because it's the first one that focuses on the family aspect that that was set up in Encounter at Farpoint. We've seen the odd kid on the on the Enterprise for some reason in. Last outpost, there were kids in the conference room that Riker had to shoo out. How they got there, I don't know. You'd think that'd be restricted, but but in this one, the kids were were important to the plot, and it, it's also another episode that gives Wesley a chance to shine, and uh, I'm all for that uh, as a character that uh, I always felt got sort of short shifted. 
or or put in the role of saving the day. And he didn't do either of those things in here in this episode, but he was important. So that's what I like about uh, about when the bow breaks. Interestingly, when I pulled the initial list of eleven episodes, there was a, a bit of an explanation about why they were in the why they were included in the list, and there was something about well when the bow breaks and it kind of coloured my vision about the episode. There's the there's the old man and the wee girl, and she gets placed with him, and there was a mention about him just about being a creepy old guy wanting to live with a wee girl, and I don't know if that was necessarily true, but it's you know it's implanted that thought in my brain. I'm going, is there something else that I didn't see here? I don't think there was. I think this person that made the list is just a bit strange. Um, but yeah, it's worth watching again just to see what you you might think of that. Well, I've got the, the last one I want to mention is Too Short a Season. Um, that's, uh, that's the episode with the Admiral who takes the anti-aging drug. So this sort of almost ties in with your, your death and aging episode from a couple of weeks ago here. Um, I hated this episode so much. Oh my god, it was, uh, it was just the the actor who was playing the admiral was so over the top. But uh, we're looking for for good things in it. I thought this had one of the best action scenes that we'd seen up to this point. There was a, a phaser fight in the tunnels underneath the city. I thought that was uh, was pretty cool. We don't get a ton of running, jumping action scenes on Next Generation, and uh, this was a good one. Um, this was the first time in a long time that I noticed that all eight of the main characters were on screen at the same time in the same scene. Um, the, he asked the doctor to stay on the bridge with him and, uh, and you got to see there was one shot that had all eight of your leads. Everybody who's in the main credits except Wesley was in the shot at the same time. And I thought that was a nice little touch. And again, I also thought there was a little more uh, Picard crusher subtext in this episode as well. But on the whole, it was just, I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. Don't make me watch it again. I am with you there, Kevin. It's painful. I think it's painful to watch. The old age makeup is so bad, so bad. But um, yeah, having to rewatch it again, um, I think you can really pull a lot of deep themes out of it. Um, it kind of hollered back to a private little war from TOS, you know, and the, the consequences of arming both sides of a, you know, of a conflict and, I mean, 40 years of civil war on the planet as a result. Um, yeah, I mean, if you can get past some of the difficult stuff, I think there's some good good content you can pull out of it. It's never occurred to me that his acting was really over the top, but then when I think about the episode again, I'm thinking, it was, and now I don't like it. So, thanks, guys. Um, Woohoo! Yeah. Yeah, but I've always thought the makeup was ridiculous, I think any time, I think the only time they've ever, like any movie or TV franchise that has ever done aging makeup good is Captain America at the end of Endgame, mm. where Steve Rogers comes back as a wee old man. Spoiler alert. But he's never seen Endgame? Surely the whatever statute of limitations has passed, it's not a spoiler, it was out like two years ago, come on. Just go and watch it, get yourself sorted. Um, so apparently when Chris Evans' mum saw it, that scene, she was in tears because he looked so much like her dad, his grandfather, in real life. So yeah, they did get the ageing. I think 
that level of makeup technology has improved so much that they're getting it right rather oh, yeah. than just giving everybody like liver spots everywhere and a ton of wrinkles and grey <laughs> hair. And they were on an 80s TV budget when this yeah. episode was made, not True. not a 2010, 2019 blockbuster yeah. movie budget. So. De-aging AI, CGI stuff. He looks a lot like Admiral McCoy when they age him. Like, <laughs> yeah. like very yeah, much so. Makeup, yeah. Probably just wash the latex. <laughs> now, having said how bad I thought his acting was, I thought the woman who played his wife, I thought she was lovely. And uh, she obviously had to know that the thing she was playing opposite was ridiculous, but I thought she handled it with grace, and uh, I thought she was lovely. I, I really like that actress. Hmm. Agree. Me three. Yeah, but she's playing. She knows who she's playing. She's playing this yes. wheeled wife to an admiral woman, and I think she plays that well. Whereas the admiral is mm-hmm. playing what he thinks... A star, the idea of a Starfleet Admiral to him is that is suddenly getting younger and I don't think anybody knows what that character is in order to play it right given that you're only in I one agree. episode so. well I think that's, uh, that's some good thoughts about some episodes that are, are not ranked so highly and I hope we've burst some perceived fan wisdom about them uh, does anybody have any final thoughts about these, uh, these few episodes we've discussed today? I think, I, do you know what I'm going to stand by what I say like all the time I like I like all of them there's a couple of episodes which annoy me generally about TNG but I'll still watch them because they still bring me enjoyment and I really like that old fashioned episodic TV where if you miss 20 episodes in a row you can just jump in wherever and it'll tell you a story that's worth discussing so yeah, I agree. It's it's not as bad as as people say. I think it's it's still it's still good. They still tell good stories, even when execution wasn't that great. The stories were solid. It was just it's just good. Yeah, I'm I'm glad I rewatched them. Um, I hadn't in so long, and it was kind of cool to see you know everyone how they looked back then. First season, so young, um, and and being able to to pull stuff out of the episodes that I had never seen before, and the kind of the three or four that had kind of the COVID ties. I thought that was kind of interesting to watch those now. So yeah, thanks guys. Thanks for making me watch these. Yeah, I, I think we've got to keep in mind too that these episodes are a product of their time. Mm-hmm. Um, 1987 was longer ago than I like to care to think about. So if you keep that in mind, keep an open mind, I, I think you can find good in, in pretty much any episode of, of Star Trek. So, Well, it's been so much fun talking about the good in low-rated Season 1 episodes today, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Earl Grey. I guess what I'm seeing is that we're taking some of these later Borg ideas and kind of retconning them back into the best of both worlds. It's stuff that's not necessarily there. That is exactly what's happening, because I remember Mm -hmm. Picard saying... Like in first contact, I can hear their voices. Hear them, you know. Right, but, but that a, is, yeah, way thing, further right? than where we are. So, oh my goodness, what our man, our mind does, crazy. Literary tricks. And suddenly now there aren't dozens of movies in the Kelvin universe, so it's not such a critical matter for original novels to be set in that universe to come out. When I was writing The Unsettling Stars, which was not the original title, but that's what we're going to call it because that's what it is, 
I was very much aware of the two films that JJ had done, and I purposely wrote a book to do something that would not, in any way that I could think of, conflict with anything in the first two films. Primitive Culture, a look at history and culture through Star Trek. The corona epidemic is shocking. I mean, it's the, you know, we're having some of the most extreme measures being taken in, you know, living memory. I mean, you know, since the Second World War in this country, in many respects, the kind of things people are being asked to do, the level of involvement of the government in people's ordinary lives, totally unprecedented, certainly in, you know, our lifetimes. Um, and frankly, in the lifetimes of most people who are alive, you know, in this world at the moment. So there is that kind of sense that just when you think you're done with history, something happens and sort of reminds you that, <laughs> that everything's not maybe as stable as it seems. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. I don't want them to look like original series Klingons or like next Maybe generation not. Klingons or even like uh, Enterprise Klingons. I don't want that. I want them to look just modern. Yeah, you don't need to try to match an aesthetic from 20 to 50 years ago. You really just Ma. don't. Don't do mm. that. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favourite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad or Apple TV or the desktop Apple Podcasts app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review that helps others to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways that you can do that. The best place to join the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter and Instagram at trek.fm, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So, Joe, where can people contact you when you're not running about in gardens in short white skirts? Have you got a CCTV access to my back garden, Kevin? This is very weird. <laughs> um, so when I'm not doing that, you can get me on the Babel Conference as normal. You can listen to me on Earl Grey, where I'm a host. You can tweet me on the Twitter at joeyjoe77uk. Or you can email me joepodcasts at gmail.com. And I will just add on to that that people nobody's emailed me in quite a while so please drop me an email i check every five minutes i emailed you and you never responded that's back. lies like three months ago i'm gonna check my email right now please i'm very <laughs> please. good at emailing not good at any other type of social media but i've got the email down right mm-hmm. what, what did you you probably typed my email address wrong probably <laughs> Rhea, where can people contact you when you're not trying to murder people for 
the trampling on your garden? Well, <laughs> I'll be in the backyard replanting the garden, which is what I'll be doing this afternoon. Um, or you can find me on the Babel Conference or on Earl Grey, where I am kind of a semi-co-host. Um, I'm not on any other social media because it's too complicated for my pack-led brain. But you can come over and visit me, and I'll cook for you, and we can dig dirt together. So, Pierre, where can people contact you when you're not, not watching Coming of Age? People can contact me uh, on the Babel Conference, where I'm there a lot of the time, um, and also my Twitter at P-L-A-R-O-C-C-O-2-1. And Kevin, where can people contact you when you're not selling your Angel One cosplay costume? Oh, oh, you need to see those. But you can find me on the Babel Conference as well. Uh, I am on a Facebook and a Twitter. Uh, on Twitter, you can find me at True North Nerds, which is a podcast I do with my, some friends about general geekiness in uh, Central Ontario. And I'm also on a Star Trek fan audio drama called Endless Vigilance, and I think you should check it out. We have two episodes released so far, and I think it's really good. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's Papa, Alpha, Tango, Romeo, Echo, Oscar, Nancy dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers. Norman Lau, Michael Huter, Thomas Appel, Chris Tabruzio, Jim McMahon, Justin Ozier, and Joe Keegan. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So, join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Captain, I am not aware of Regulation 6.57. Great joy and joyous joyousness. Energize. Die, filthy humans! <laughs>